Hey guys, it's Tana. It's great to have you back for another episode of Oddity Podity. The very first episode of this podcast was about the 1886 Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. That one remains the number one most downloaded episode of the show to this day. And it's no surprise why. There's so much history and haunting there that it's impossible not to be drawn in by the story. The Crescent has a horrifyingly colorful background, not to mention the best breakfast in town. But the Crescent isn't the only place in Eureka Springs that's haunted. Almost every building in the downtown area is listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and the city is comprised of the largest collection of Victorian architecture in the central United States. And we all know that a Victorian ghost is the best kind of ghost. So if you're curious about what's going down in that tiny little town in the mountains that keeps me coming back, keep listening. Because after I tell you what I love about the place, you might just be scared enough to book yourself a trip. to the episode about the 1886 Crescent Hotel, you already know that the mountain town of Eureka Springs, Arkansas is one of my favorite places to visit. In that episode, I told you that two certified mediums were hired to investigate the Crescent, and they determined that it showed signs of being a portal to another dimension. I'm not sure exactly what one must do to get a medium certification, but I agree with them. In fact, I think that there's a paper-thin wall between the whole town and something else. I'm not quite sure what that something else is, and I think you have to visit the place yourself to understand what I mean. It's such an unusual town that Robert Ripley himself featured Eureka Springs in Ripley's Believe It or Not a total of six times between 1930 and his death in 1949. I get Ripley's fascination with the town. I'm so drawn to it that I visit several times a year. I went back in October, and I'd planned on doing this episode then for our one-year anniversary, but I had too much fun to take notes. There was a big motorcycle rally going on called Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue, which was attended by a group called the Law Tigers, Motorcycle Lawyers. Now, I expected to see a bunch of guys in $5,000 suits riding Harleys, but it turns out that they mostly handle motorcycle accidents and not so much bailing the Sons of Anarchy out of jail. So I went again a few weekends ago, but it was kind of slow since this is the off-season. Still, we caught a Fleetwood Mac cover band at Chelsea's Pizza, then we hit Missy's White Rabbit where we played a game of Giant Jenga, which is exactly what it sounds like, a Jenga puzzle that's almost as tall as me. Always fun to play in a bar while partaking. We finished the night at a place called Eureka Underground. There were no drag shows that night, but they had a dance floor lit up like a Rubik's Cube, so Hal and I took advantage of that. Unfortunately, our dancing drew some fans who decided to join us on the dance floor, and one especially enthusiastic lady fell down and took us down with her. I busted my knee up good, and it still freaking hurts. Hey lady, if you're listening, you gave me an injury that will probably follow me to my grave. But the thing you need to know about Eureka is that you will fall at some point. It just hurts a lot more when you're sober. That's mostly because of the steep hills and roads that wind around the Ozark Mountains that the town rests on. As Ripley once noted, the streets of Eureka are so twisty that they form the letters U and V a total of 51 times, the letter S is formed 13 times, and the letter O appears in the streets 7 times. 
So we spent most of the next day licking our fall-related wounds at a place called Brews. I love Brews. They have all kinds of freshly made snacks and baked goods there, as well as coffee and bar drinks. But the real reason they're called Brews is because they keep a dozen beers on tap, all of which are exclusively made in Arkansas breweries. You can get a flight if you're not sure which one you like best, and they list descriptions and alcohol content on each one to help you choose. They're dog-friendly, they have a killer playlist, and they keep a stash of board games there for your entertainment. They also keep the place decorated with awesome art created by local artists. Many years ago, that building housed an antique store, and everything in it came from estate sales, and it was creepy as hell. Walking up and down the aisles was like rummaging through someone's house who really didn't want you there. The place had this unpleasant energy about it, like there are dark entities still clinging to all those old lamps and ashtrays and issues of popular mechanic. I eventually stopped going in there at all. Bruce is different, though, and it is one of my favorite places to go, even though every once in a while I still get a whiff of that old, uncomfortable energy that once made its home there. That particular afternoon, Neil and I sampled all the flights and played movie trivia while Hallie studied. Afterward, we decided to get dinner at the Balcony Bar restaurant at the Basin Park Hotel. Once we finished the most excellent dinner of fish and chips, we decided to go ahead and turn in for the night. It was fairly early, but already dark and terribly cold. We were staying at this cute little bed and breakfast a few blocks from the Crescent, and that meant that we had to trek up one of the super steep streets that led to the top of the hill. So we decided to get on going. Hallie went ahead of us, and she took Mountain Street up. We were lagging behind, and we decided to take Owen Street instead. When I say that this hill is steep, I mean that in some spots, it's almost like your knee is going to hit you in the chest as you climb. Unless you're feeling especially spry, it's normal to have to stop and take a breather at the halfway mark. So that's what Neil and I did, stopping in the middle for a second to catch our breath. But during our brief rest, I glanced behind us, and that's when I saw something that reminded me that just because Eureka is virtually crime-free, that doesn't mean that it's 100% safe to be out walking after dark. An impossibly tall figure with unnaturally long arms was gliding up the hill below. He was just a shadow, but I could see the outline of a hat on his head. It wasn't a top hat, but it was almost as alarming. It was a bowler's hat. If you listen to the episode on shadow people, you know all about Hatman. And even though the top hat is his favorite, the bowler is a close second. I yanked Neil up and told him we had to get the hell out of there. He looked back and saw the thing, but he's not schooled in liminal people and didn't understand what he was seeing. I grabbed his arms like I was doing a CrossFit sled drag, and I pulled him up that hill like the devil was on our heels because I really thought he was. I didn't look back until we got to the top, and when I did, the figure was gone. While that incident did not kill my love for Eureka, it was a good reminder of the otherworldly nature of the place. Eureka Springs was founded in 1879, but people had been visiting the top of that mountain for decades before that because of the medicinal springs that miraculously healed wounds that responded to nothing else. In the 1880s, the health spa industry was founded, and because of its reputation as a town with magical water, the Victorians flocked there to get their spring water enemas. I'm not just trying to be gross. That's really what they did. And with this, Eureka Springs became one of the most popular resorts of the Victorian era. And it seems like a lot of those Victorians liked it so much that they never left, if you believe all the tourists who reported countless supernatural encounters there over the years. A lot of them occurred at the Crescent Hotel, which makes sense when you know about all the gnarly stuff that happened there, especially all that nastiness with quote-unquote Dr. Baker and his cancer-curing hospital. 
But the Crescent isn't the only place where nastiness happened or the only place that's haunted. In fact, you can do a walking ghost tour that includes most of the downtown area. The Basin Park is at the center of this tour. It's the Crescent Sister Hotel that sits in the middle of the town, down near the bottom of the hill. In 1996, Marty and Elise Rennick took a road trip from their home in East Hampton, Connecticut, and on a whim, they took a detour to check out downtown Eureka Springs. Much like I did, they fell in love with the place. But unlike me, they had a bunch of dollars, and they decided to use them to buy the tallest building in town, the Basin Park Hotel. At that point, the hotel wasn't in the best shape, so they knew they had a fixer-upper on their hands. Before they left town, they headed up the hill to check out the Crescent, which was in even worse shape. They ended up buying that one, too. The couple is largely responsible for the glory that the hotels are today, but it's what happened before the Rennicks that made today's ghost tours possible. The Basin Park Hotel was originally built in 1881 by Captain Joseph Perry, not to be confused with Joe Perry, guitarist from Aerosmith. This is a different guy. But this captain was in poor health, and he moved to Eureka in hopes of being healed by the waters of the springs. Perry House was four stories tall, and for many years it was a prosperous hotel. But downtown Eureka at that time was a lot like the French Quarter. And like the Quarter around that time, once a fire got loose in town, it gobbled up every wooden structure in the vicinity. And that's what happened to Perry House in 1890. It would be 14 years until a rebuild happened, and this time they made sure it wouldn't burn. They doubled the size of the hotel, making it eight stories and a hundred rooms with walls that were made from white limestone and pink dolomite that was mined from a local quarry. But just to be safe, they installed iron catwalks on every floor, which served as fire escapes that led out of the hotel and up the side of the mountain behind it. This essentially made every floor a ground floor, a feature that was recognized on Ripley's Believe It or Not as well. The new incarnation of the hotel also had all the newfangled belts and whistles of the time a cage elevator, electric lights, steam heat, and telephones in every room. Pretty standard now, but it was the ultimate of luxury back then. The hotel did well, but then the beast known as the Great Depression hit town in 1929, and it overstayed its welcome for about a decade. By the early 1940s, the Basin Park Hotel was a shadow of its former self. In 1944, an oil baron from Oklahoma decided to invest in the rundown property. His nephew, a fellow named Joe Parkhill, convinced him that he could bring it back to its former glory. He had a vision for Eureka as a hub for gamblers and perhaps a haven for some Chicago mobster types. Apparently, one of his neighbors back home was Al Capone, and we all know how much Al Capone loved Arkansas spa resorts. The Arlington Hotel in Hot Springs was one of his favorite vacation spots. While Joe's plans were taking shape, something else happened that thrust the Basin Park into a national spotlight. In 1948, an NBC radio show called Truth or Consequences granted a two-week vacation to Eureka Springs that included a stay at the Basin Park to a newlywed couple from California who won on the show. Now, the consequence part of the challenge was that they had to spend the entire vacation, the whole two weeks, barefoot. Everywhere they went, up all those hills and twisty roads, out to eat, shopping, everything had to be done sans shoes. The couple were good sports about it, and in June of that year, the Basin Park held the first annual barefoot ball in their honor, which they've held ever since. Guests of the ball are required to, of course, attend barefoot. This stunt wasn't the only thing that put the Basin Park on the map, though. Joe Park Hill was very successful in his bid to bring high rollers from the city up to the hills. 
He outfitted the six-floor billiard room with slot machines and a bar and called it the Lucky Seven. Joe allowed his special business partners from Chicago to stay at the hotel for free when they needed a place to get out of town until the heat died down. Al Capone's sister once stayed there for over a month, and Joe never charged any of these friends anything during their visits. Flooding the town with criminals on top of the fact that both alcohol and gambling were illegal at the time began to piss off local law enforcement, though. In 1955, Sheriff Erton Deweese and Deputy Sheriff W.D. Benham began planning a raid on the Basin Park Hotel. They waited until the night of the annual Barefoot Ball, a night that was sure to draw a full house and have the drinks a-flowing. But the state police, who were also frequent guests of the hotel, tipped Joe off. So Joe made sure to hide the liquor in slot machines behind fake doors marked storage. He had hoped that the raid would happen early in the evening so that later that night, after the cops left empty-handed, he could drag all the illegal stuff out of the closets and make some money. But the sheriff and his deputy never showed up. Joe began to grow impatient, and eventually greed got the best of him. At 11 p.m., he instructed his night manager, a guy by the name of Jack James Rabbit, that's spelled R-A-B-B-E-T-T. He told Jack to bring out those one-armed bandits and start slinging booze. 20 minutes later, the sheriff and the state police descended on the Basin Park Hotel. They seized and destroyed the slot machines and liquor and arrested Joe Parkhill and Jack Rabbit. Joe's wife, Inez, bailed them out, but the business would not survive. The Parkhills sold the hotel to retired U.S. Representative Claude Fuller, and then they divorced. Both remarried shortly thereafter, and both of them stayed in the Eureka area until their deaths. I'm not sure what happened to Jack Rabbit, but the Lucky 7 is now called Jack Rabbit's Whiskey Bar. The slot machines are long gone, but you can still get a good drink and shoot some pool there. I've said this before. Due to the nature of hotels in general, it is possible that there could be a ghost in any of them. I mean, a lot of gnarly stuff happens when people are away from the safety of their homes, and not all of it includes death. As far as hauntings go, there are plenty of reports at the basin, but no one is entirely sure exactly where the ghost came from. The Basin Park's own website theorizes that it might be due to the current hotel being buried on top of the, quote, grave of the Perry House that burned down. They also think that the activity could be due to the energies of the mystical springs that flow beneath it, which are also thought to be the source of the magic of Eureka itself. Whatever is causing the paranormal activity at the Basin Park, room 307 seems especially affected. Guests staying in that room have been awakened in the middle of the night by the specter of a cowboy. Yeehaw! Other frequently reported sightings include a little girl in a yellow dress with her hair and pigtails and a young woman with cold blue eyes and platinum blonde hair whose body is partially translucent. People have also reported seeing faces appear in the stained glass windows of the ballroom foyer. The majority of paranormal encounters include things moving around on their own, really strangely colored orbs floating. I've seen pictures of these. These are not like regular white colored orbs. They're like bright red and purple, but they float around on the guest floors and on the catwalks that lead up and out of the hotel and up the mountain, and human-shaped shadows seen in the barefoot ballroom. I once stayed at the Basin Park with my daughter and cousins, and we all shared a room. I was the last one to get to use the bathroom before going to bed. Everyone else was in bed by the time I finished up, and when I walked out of the bathroom, I saw a human-shaped shadow in an alcove by the door. I wasn't sure what I was seeing at first. It was a little bit shorter than me, about kid height, but much thinner than any kid I'd ever seen. 
It was almost like a long, drawn-out shadow of a very, very small person. And then I got scared and looked away. I didn't tell anyone until after we'd left that morning because I didn't want a bunch of drama before bed. And that's usually what I do when stuff like that happens because sleep always trumps fear for me. One of the most dramatic paranormal encounters at the Basin Park happened in January of 2018 when a nationally recognized paranormal expert visited the hotel to conduct an investigation. The following story is documented on the Basin Park's website. The expert brought a small group of assistants with him while one of the hotel guests led the way. While in the ballroom, the investigator's equipment picked up frequent temperature fluctuations and the group saw several of the human-shaped shadows that I was talking about earlier. When they set up to record EVP, which is equipment designed to capture electronic voice phenomenon, the tour guide suddenly felt pressure on his throat. The pressure quickly became so intense that he couldn't breathe. He bolted from the room, only to return a few minutes later with red marks crisscrossing his throat. Witnesses say that the marks looked exactly like two hands that had been wrapped around his neck. If the hauntings of the Basin Park and the Crescent Hotel aren't enough to convince you to trek all the way up to the Ozark Mountains for a vacation, let me give you a few more reasons. For starters, there's a whole city beneath the city. Remember those magical springs that shoot out of the ground? There's a whole underground system of caves that they come from. Caves that you can explore on the Eureka Underground Tour. I know I mentioned Eureka Underground earlier, but I was talking about the nightclub bar. This Eureka Underground is a walking tour that spreads below the streets of the city and provides an entire history of how it all came about. How cool is that? Don't glow if you're claustrophobic or have knee issues, but otherwise, it's a must-see. There's also the old Dr. Ellis Place, which is a beautiful green Victorian located at 44 Prospect Avenue, which sits right across the street and adjacent to the Crescent Hotel. If you want to book a stay, you best Google it, though, by its proper name, the Dr. John Fremont Ellis House, 1886. You'll notice by the date that it was built the same year that the Crescent opened, and unsurprisingly, Dr. Ellis is deeply entwined in its history. Dr. Ellis, unlike Dr. Baker, was an actual doctor, and he was also a colonel, so you might see his name written as Dr. C.F. Ellis, the C standing for colonel. During the Victorian era, homeopathic medicine was wildly popular, and Dr. Ellis happened to have studied this type of medicine in one of the most prestigious colleges in New York. Being that Eureka Springs was the mecca of homeopathics, Dr. Ellis thought it would be a perfect place for him to practice. Plus, he was intrigued by the stories of the healing waters of the springs that cured everything from blindness to cancer, and he wanted to see if those stories were true. Once he got settled in Eureka, Dr. Ellis wasted no time investing in the development of the town. He became a member of the Eureka Improvement Company, an investment firm that would eventually finance the construction of the Crescent Hotel. And since he partially paid for it, of course he was present at the grand opening ball, which was attended by hundreds of America's elite. He ran his own medical practice for over 40 years out of the house across the street, and he was also the house physician for the Crescent Hotel and later when it became the Crescent College as well. He served on various city councils and was often called on to speak at events as he was a gifted orator. In addition to all those impressive achievements, he also found the time to help create the city waterworks, which ensured that the townspeople had a constant supply of water. This was also important because between 1882 and 1893, Fires completely destroyed downtown Eureka Springs four times. In March of 1931, another fire broke out. 
At the time, Dr. Ellis was downtown at the post office, which was called the Rosewater Ellis Building, because it had been built by Dr. Ellis and Postmatter Benjamin Rosewater to meet the growing needs of the town. Dr. Ellis fought the fire himself while waiting the fire department's arrival, but it was no use. Despite his valiant efforts, the building burned to the ground. The property was valued at $50,000, which is the equivalent of around a million dollars today. It was a total loss, and it was uninsured. So you can understand why Dr. Ellis was so frantic to put the fire out. But the effort of fighting the fire was too much for the doctor. As he watched his investment go up in flames, his heart failed and he died. The doctor was well-loved and he poured his heart, soul, and money into building Eureka. His death was a huge blow to the community. In a strange coincidence, Dr. Ellis was a member of the Independent Order of Oddfellows, which I did an episode on last week. It turns out that there once existed a chapter of the Oddfellows in Eureka, and they founded their own cemetery there in 1889. That's where Dr. Ellis was buried. The city took over the cemetery in 1965, so it's now called the Eureka Springs Cemetery, which is probably why I didn't know the IOOF existed there until now. And so now I must visit that cemetery and see if it's more interesting than a normal graveyard. Respectfully, of course. Dr. Ellis's ghost has been spotted not only in his house, but also many times at the Crescent and in various buildings that he used to frequent downtown. The place where the building burned and he died is now the Rowdy Beaver Tavern. I've never seen Dr. Ellis there, but I did find some excellent onion rings and locally brewed craft beer. They also have a band that plays there sometimes called Han Duo. It would have been Han Solo, but since there's two guys in the band, it's Han Duo. Not only are they super talented musicians, they're hilarious. Anyway, if you're jonesing for a fun getaway, look at Eureka Springs. There's always something going on there. Right now, they're gearing up for Mardi Gras, complete with floats and beads. If that's not your thing, check their calendar, and I'm certain that you'll find something that is. But be careful while you're out walking at night, even if you're not alone. Because in Eureka, humans aren't what you need to fear. Guys, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate y'all so much. I hope that you'll come back and join me again next week, same time, same place, for a little more history and a little more haunt. We'll see you then.